This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I wanted to give anybody who was lucky enough to pick up a PlayStation 5 a quick heads up. And while this is absolutely not retro gaming related, I know a lot of you are modern gamers as well. But I heard something that was very annoying and a problem that I might have had if I had owned a PS5. And that people are able to download PS4 versions of games even though they own a PS5 and are buying it right from the console. So I guess that caused a bit of confusion online for the past couple of days where uh, some people's games weren't having the same features as others, and it turns out they downloaded the PS4 version by accident. And that honestly sounds like a problem that if it wasn't clearly labeled, I might fall for when I was busy just trying to get a game downloaded real quick. So I just wanted to share that with any uh, early adopters of the PS5. Hopefully they'll fix that soon enough, but... Anyway, on to the news. Last week, I talked about the LG CX series OLEDs, and there were a few things that I wasn't able to go over, mostly because I forgot to test it, Uh, but BFI mode, black frame insertion, was the big one. Um, And the reason I wasn't able to test it is because it's kind of a buried feature. You have to turn off variable refresh rate and make sure it's on game mode, which we probably would do anyway, but you need to make sure it's set to that if you want all of the options available. And then you go into settings, picture, picture options, true motion, set that to user, and then set it to high. It's crazy, right? Why would you bury a cool feature like this so far in the menu? But anyway, um, turning BFI mode on really darkened the image. It's my personal opinion that a dimly lit or dark room wouldn't make the slightest bit of a difference. I'd probably want my TV a little dimmer anyway, so it doesn't hurt your eyes. In a really well lit room, though, like a sunny day with the you know the shades open on your windows, it definitely would be too dark for most people. Even with the OLED backlight turned up to a hundred, not the brightness, by the way, the OLED backlight. Um, but I thought it was really cool. Uh, If you want to test this yourself and you own one, try a game like any of the Sonic the Hedgehog games with fast horizontal scrolling and see what you think. Um, I don't own the TV yet. Hopefully I'll get it someday, but uh, it definitely seems like a feature that uh, if it were on my TV, I'd be toggling it on and off all the time. Um, and just to kind of see how much I like it or not. Now, other than it being or making the screen darker, it also does add about a frame of lag. So without BFI mode turned on in game mode with everything else disabled, it's about nine milliseconds of latency. And with the BFI mode turned on, it was just about 26 milliseconds. And the good news is, though, that that's pretty solid. It didn't really move from 26, so it's not like a variable latency that you'll never be able to adjust to. And a frame and a half of lag isn't terrible at all. It's things that it's lag that most flat panel users were probably used to, and even previous years of the LG OLEDs had more lag than that. So it's it's a middle ground where I think most people in a dim or dark room uh, might 
really think it's a good trade-off, especially if you were somebody that's used to playing on, or at least had seen CRTs in action before. Whereas if you'd grown up only playing on LCD TVs, this might not be as amazing as a feature as it does as it is to some of us CRT heads. So uh, overall, I, I still loved that TV. It's on my list. It or whatever is the successor next year is on my list for something to pick up in the future. Um, and if you already own the TV absolutely try that feature just for the heck of it. Uh, also, a few people had mentioned changes when uh, when you set the input to PC mode, and I didn't notice any difference whatsoever. Uh, so please correct me if I'm wrong. I was wrong last week about not testing BFI mode, so I'm certainly not trying to be a know-it-all about it. I just couldn't see any difference. So uh, let me know if you've got one of these, if changing it to PC mode does anything for you. Um, And if at all possible, try to snap some pictures. And of course, if you have a time sleuth, by all means, give that a try as well. It looks like someone's reverse engineered both the hardware and the firmware from original Sound Blaster audio cards, which is pretty cool news for fans of old PCs. Um, It looks like they've also published all of this data to their GitHub, and they're calling the replacement card the Snark Barker, which is pretty funny. Um, And also the firmware that was just reverse engineered is actually based off of the Sound Blaster 2.0 firmware, but should be able to be flashed right on this if I'm reading this all correctly. Um, I actually did read through Ronnie's article twice because I was pretty excited about this. Even though I don't currently own any old PC setups, I really hope to at some point because I just think it would be awesome to to build like a really badass version of a PC I owned as a kid. So, you know, if I had a 486DX, try to find one with the fastest 486 processor that was out there and, you know, get the snark barker uh, instead of having to hunt down an original sound blaster and, and really recreate that full experience, turbo button and all. So, uh, you know, it's always so impressive to me that people continue to reverse engineer and share this stuff. So thanks very much to everybody who's involved in all of these cool projects. And thanks to Ronnie for the write-up. Crix has just added in-game reset to the EverDrive N8 Pro. And to be clear, the original menu all the way from back when the Pro was first released had an option to exit game, but the new option that was added resets game. So it's essentially the same exact thing as if you had the original cartridge in, walked up to the NES and tapped the reset button. Um, I'll be completely honest. I have no idea why this function is important. It might just be that I'm completely missing something and there's a game like uh, X-Men for Genesis where you have to hit reset at the end of the game. Spoilers, sorry. Um, Maybe there's something like that that I don't know about. However, I've heard a ton of people ask for this very specific feature. Uh, So if you wouldn't mind educating me in the comments of why this is an important feature, um, I had no clue. But uh, it's thanks to Crix for adding it because a lot of people were asking for it. Um, And of course, you know, thanks for continuing to update all of these EverDrives with new features. And I believe the Black Friday sale has started. So if you're interested in EverDrive, definitely go to their website, uh, everdrive.me, and you're able to pick up some EverDrives at a pretty cheap price. I posted a very fun video over the weekend that shows that Sega light gun games and 3D glasses games will still work if you convert it from RGB to S-Video. And I know that might seem like a strange thing to ask because that's how it works inside these consoles. It Sometimes, uh, depending on the console that you're using, will be generated as RGB, then go to a chip that separates that into S-Video, composite, and then into another chip that separates it to RF for consoles that support that. So at first glance, you might think, well, why does that even matter? However, this is an external converter. And if it changed the speed 
or the frequency of the signal in any way, light guns would not work. So while I kind of thought they would, I wanted to double check, and they absolutely do. Um, and also, I saw a picture of myself answering the question from the uh, supporter Q&A, which is how this whole thing started. I saw a picture of myself with the 3D glasses holding the light gun with the sun setting behind me, so there was like a bunch of colors uh, in the background, and I just thought... That's the silliest, most ridiculous picture of myself I have ever taken. I absolutely want to make a video just because of this. Uh, so unlike my usual videos that, that take a million years to, to edit and get ready, uh, I had two simple ones in a row, the LG TV one and this one. I hope you all don't mind, but I had some fun doing it and kind of wanted to do it anyway. Um, also, I went over in the video why RGB to composite video probably isn't going to work in most scenarios. If that was a bigger deal, um, you might want to watch the video for details on that. And if anybody's interested, I could probably do a write-up or something that has the technical details as to what the problem actually is with that. Um, and to be honest, while this was a fun video, I almost didn't make it into a post. It almost felt more like um, you know something fun for social media, except I do get this question often. So I figured by doing a write-up like this and having it posted on RetroRGB, if anybody has questions in the future and you Google it, at least it'll come up, both the video and the post. So hope uh, hopefully no one interpreted this as me spamming my own website with what should have been a social media post, because I think it was fun, but I also think it might be helpful as well. There's a new project for the Vectrix called the Blacklighter Project, which prints the Vectrix's overlays on a UV-sensitive transparent material that reacts to the look of the vector monitor. And based on the video that I'm seeing of it, it gives it a totally different sense of depth and color to it that the main overlays don't really. Um, I'm a fan of the overlays on the Vectrix. I thought they were cool, but this really takes it to a whole other level. So uh, if you're a fan of the Vectrix, I'd strongly suggest you check out Dan's post. Uh, check out both the videos as well as the links in there. Um, I have a feeling that most Vectrix fans are probably going to end up purchasing one of these. Uh, and there's also a pretty neat video that Dan embedded about using the Star Wars flight yoke on a different style of game on the Vectrix, which was also very cool and I think might be a perfect fit for that uh, Raspberry Pi Vectrix project talked about a few weeks ago. So uh, very neat post and very, very impressed. Um, or I'm very impressed at the Blacklighter project. Uh, it seems like something I'd really love to see in person. Analog has just released the jailbreak firmware for their NT-Mini Noir, which is not compatible with any of the original NT-Mini's firmwares because there are different components inside. And this jailbreak firmware adds a bunch of features as well as adds the Sega Genesis core, which can't be ported to the original because the original isn't fast enough to run it. Um, I kind of have mixed feelings overall about the jailbreak. Um, when it first came out on the original NT-Mini, I thought it was absolutely awesome and a really cool way to experience a very accurate version of all of those consoles, both through analog output as well as HDMI output. And I also kind of thought, as a whole, it was pretty cost-effective, because even though the NT-Mini and NT-Mini Noir was extremely expensive, if you thought about it in the context of, I want an HDMI outputting NES, ColecoVision, and Game Boy, it would actually be cheaper overall. But nowadays, there's a lot more choices. And it's my personal opinion, just an opinion here, but um, I really love consoles like the Mega SG, 
uh, yeah, SG. I always get the SG and the SD confused, but the Mega SG because it's a fairly priced way to play Sega Genesis cartridges, and you could actually get it. As far as I know, it's pretty consistently been in stock on Analog's website. So while it's not cheap, it's absolutely not unfairly priced, not by any stretch of the imagination. And it's a really great way to retain that original experience. You know, take the game off your shelf, take the cartridge out of the case, plug in your original controllers if you want. However, it's my opinion that if you're going to go the other side of things and take the time to load up an SD card with all the jailbreak firmware and go find all the ROMs and, you know, configure each individual core, you'd probably be better off spending your time and your money on a mister for that. Because while you don't get the experience of plugging in your original cartridge, you get pretty much everything the NT Mini offers and more. Yes, there's some cores that aren't on, available on both and some are better than others on one or the other. I don't really want to get into any of those semantics. It's just the whole thought of if you're going to take the time and you're going to spend the money to get one of these just for their core access, you'd really open up a whole other world for yourself just by taking the time to do that with Mr. And it's gotten way easier to configure and install anything on the Mr. Um, I've I say that because I've been a really early adopter of the Mr. Project, so I remember all of the different iterations of how you get it set up, and it's pretty darn easy now. And, you know, just to be clear, by saying this, I'm not throwing shade at Mr., and I'm not throwing shade at the analog products. It's just simply a fact that if you want your original carts, the analog products are an awesome choice, but if you're going to play off an SD card anyway, it might actually just be better overall to, to go over and kind of, you know, be a part of an open source project that's constantly growing and getting stuff added to it. So totally your decision, what you'd like. Uh, either way, if you already own the NT Mini Noir, it would make sense to just do the jailbreak, even if you don't load all your ROMs up or anything, just it's because it's, there's no downside. I mean, the worst possible thing that could happen is you say, eh, I just want to have the original firmware on it just for the heck of it. So you go put the original firmware on it. There's there's zero downside of doing it. So it's probably just worth doing. Um, I You know, the whole re-release of the NT Mini kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. I don't think what they did was intentional. I think they probably just said, hey, you know, we have another console coming up next year that's like a plastic version of the NT Mini that allows you, know, you to play NES and Famicom games, but that's delayed, so let's just re-release the original. And then after they'd opened up orders, they probably realized, oh crap, a lot of this stuff went end of life. We have to change the insides. But we already took people's money. Now it's too late. So now let's, you know, now let's just upgrade it. And I don't think it was intentional. I don't think they pulled the rug out from under us on purpose because it would do no good for them whatsoever. But the end result is a bunch of people who may have wanted something like this don't get it. So... You know, I'm definitely not going to be covering it. I, I would never want to do a video promoting a product that you can't buy, that you're never going to be able to buy. I already feel guilty enough when I review stuff uh, a little too early and then it ends up accidentally getting delayed by any of the developers. That's happened to me a bunch of times and it was never intentional on anybody's part. Even when the video went live, you know, I was talking to the developer and they're talking about a few weeks of release dates and sometimes stuff just happens. So um, I'm definitely not going to be doing that. And I've kind of taken that stance on a bunch of other products as well. Even through reputable uh, companies and resellers and stuff, I've kind of politely just said like, hey, I'll absolutely do the review. I'll even get it ready and put it on YouTube, but I'm not going to make it public until people can do something, a pre-order, an actual order, whatever else. 
else. And since that apparently will never happen on the NT Mini Noir, I'm never doing a video on it. However, some very good people will be doing videos on it. So please stay tuned for those. I'll certainly retweet and everything um, and help promote that for any awesome people that want to do thorough and good reviews of all the new features. But I'm not spending my time on it. I'd rather do, I'd rather help developers promote products that are brand new that they will be trying to sell to people. Nicole Express, the same developer that just released that Space Ava 201 homebrew game that I liked, also just posted an article on her website about the NEC PCFX, which was the successor to the PC Engine and TurboGrafx-16 consoles. And this is pretty interesting because it was never released outside of Japan, uh, and the console took a library of games and a reputation of awesome arcade ports and shooters and just all of the cool stuff that you would see on the turbo graphics. And now they replaced it with like FMV games and other stuff like that. So um, I don't ever remember using one of these. I might have seen it at an expo for a few minutes, uh, but it was always kind of intriguing. So I really enjoyed Nicole's article, and I also really enjoyed Danielle's thoughts about it here in the post. Um, and Danielle also linked to a video by uh, Lazy Game Reviews that talks about it that uh, I guess was a, a pretty cool overview of the console itself. So if you're interested in the PCFX and what it was and what it might have been, definitely give all this stuff a read. Uh, I, I was certainly into it all, and maybe someday I'll get a chance to mess around with it and see if it's as, uh, at, see if it holds up to how people have described it to me. <laughs> Modern Vintage Gamer just posted a video that talks about how to run RetroArch on Xbox Series S and Xbox Series X. And I thought it was a really cool video. And while you could do the same exact thing on the Xbox One, the power of the hardware in the new series Xboxes is so much higher that the emulation runs really well. And it seems very easy to do because there's no jailbreaking or hacking involved. You simply pay for a Microsoft developer's account and switch the console into developer mode. And this is something I didn't have much experience with and I thought MVG's video explained it really nicely. But essentially, you switch the console into developer mode, you pay for your developer license, and you could just load RetroArch right onto it and load games from storage or from USB. But whenever you're done with developer mode, just press a button and it goes right back to retail mode and one doesn't really affect the other. You're not able to run any retail games in dev mode, which I think is good because that helps with piracy, but you still can run all of your homebrew, which is what allows RetroArch to run. So um, what I was really intrigued about was it looked like some of the games that he had shown in the video were being rendered at a higher resolution. Uh, Demetrius said he would confirm. Um, who knows, maybe that'll end up in another video of his because I'd be pretty interested to hear about it. But if the new Xbox hardware is powerful enough to render some of these older games in higher resolutions and you're able to do things like RetroArch's run-ahead modes to save on latency you could potentially have a situation with games that already have a frame buffer. So sixth generation and newer, probably older than that too, really. PlayStation N64 might count, but you might potentially have an experience that's better than the original. If you could render in a higher resolution, if you prefer the Xbox controller better than the original controller, which might certainly be the case for me in N64, you know, no offense, I don't get raked over the coals every time I talk about that, but I just don't like the controller. <laughs> so overall, it was pretty cool, and it was really impressive how easy it is um, and how well it ran. So uh, 
you know, I'm always into seeing what new things could come of software emulation. And in the past few years, we've seen things like certain Super Nintendo and Saturn modes being rendered in higher resolutions, uh, widescreen patches that allow for a true wider field of view, not just stretching the image and stuff like that, and as well as just rendering other parts of the game higher and scaling it properly. So I, I'm really curious to see what could be done. And I'm I'd really like to see what the future holds for taking something like the Series X and trying to scale older games using emulation to 4K. Even if it's just a smaller render to 720p and then a scale to 4K, that would still make a huge difference in a lot of games. So uh, I'm certainly going to be watching his channel and seeing if there's any update videos that sees exactly how these games are being rendered. Um, And as more people are actually able to purchase one of these, um, I have a feeling that the emulation scene on the series Xboxes are probably going to start blowing up pretty big. It looks like there were a bunch more games ported from Atomus Wave to Dreamcast this week, so I figured I would just do one post that include all of them. Uh, I still have that page on RetroRGB that just includes links to all of the ones that have been converted, as well as a description of what it is that's being done um, and links to Smoke and Ray's videos describing it. Uh, So while I can't remember which ones were released this week, there's a few enough so I could just run through real quick and let you know which ones have been converted. So here's very quickly the list of games that have been converted from Atomus Wave over to Dreamcast. Demolished Fist, Dolphin Blue, Faster Than Speed, Fist of the North Star, Guilty Gear, King of Fighters, Knights of Valor, Maximum Speed, Metal Slug 6, Neo Geo Battle Coliseum, Neo Wave the King of Fighters, Rumblefish 1 and 2, and Samurai Showdown 6. So that's a pretty impressive amount of games. Um, I I haven't had a chance to test any of these myself, but I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I think I'm just overall looking forward to testing out and experiencing Atomus Wave games for the first time, really, because I don't remember playing any of these anywhere. So it should be a lot of fun. Um, I have the link down below for anybody that wants to uh, check out exactly which games are available and what games might be available in the future. The AVS from Retro USB just got a beta firmware update that allows you to load a custom color palette in along with the new firmware. Um, the AVS, for anybody that doesn't know, is an FPGA-based NES console that plays Famicom and NES cartridges, as well as is compatible with ROM carts, uh, can have up to four original NES controllers, and has the Famicom expansion port and back. At the moment, it is by far the best way to play original NES cartridges on a flat panel through, I guess you could call this a clone console, technically, any console that's not the original is a clone. However, this does not fall into clone console quality. This is a, a, an excellent choice for people that want to use original cartridges. And the new firmware is a beta, so it's not available on the front page. Um, and in order to get it, you have to go to the download section, connect your uh, retro USB AVS to your PC, load up the software, and then go to uh, transfer custom palette, not update firmware because what it's asking you to do each time you do this is load up this new firmware and load up the color palette so it asks you first for the firmware then for the palette Um, and the reason i'm assuming is because it bakes that palette into the firmware as it's uploading to the console Um, once you're done you can now select that custom palette right from the menu it's just labeled custom it doesn't have the name of the palette that you you know that you've already entered in And then uh, now you could choose from one of the four that's there. Um, You know, this is NES color palette 
palettes are always an interesting thing because there's technically no correct color palette because the way the NES generated the composite video and even different revisions of the NES uh, were different as well as how your TV interpreted the colors were different. So it's not like a console that uh, originated in that the video originated in the RGB color space. So it's kind of tricky to nail down. And a lot of people prefer what, you know, the style that they had when they were a kid. A lot of other people just prefer, you know, what their eyes like to look at now. So it's great to have the ability to load up the custom ones. I do wish that you could load more than one and I wish they were labeled so you could know which is which. Um, and while it's probably too much to ask, uh, it would be cool to be able to switch palettes in game as well. Cause I do find, I, I really do like different palettes for different games, which I know it's just nitpicking, but once you have this, uh, the ability to change palettes in game, you might also want to do that as well, which you could do on original hardware. You could do it with emulation. Um, unfortunately, this did introduce a bug where it looks like it killed Game Genie support. Once again, this is a beta firmware, not even listed on the main page. So I certainly am not blaming Brian for this. This is the point of beta. You release it and then, you know, you, you work out all the bugs and then you make it, you know, to your official firmware. So uh, definitely hold off on updating if you do use Game Genie codes, um, unless you really, really want that custom palette loaded up in there. Uh, I'll go back and do another review of it soon. I really hope that Brian adds different video modes to it. Um, I've been begging him for years to add 480p and a 4x3 mode so that people could either you know use it on, I don't know why you wouldn't want to use it, uh, 720p on a flat panel, but you'd have that option. But you'd also have the option to run it through an HDMI to VGA converter and have it run right on any VGA monitor. So you get that CRT look, which like that video I released a while back, if you turn scan lines on, it looks really close to original 240p. But way more important than that, I was really hoping Brian would add a mode that's been nicknamed Super Resolution for whatever reason. But um, in order to trick the HDMI chips into working at a lower resolution, it essentially sends out like 1280 by 240. And CRTs interpret this all as a square image because CRTs just fill the screen with whatever resolution sent to them. So, you know, if you were capturing, of course, you would have to resize in your capture, but you would still be able to split the signal and have one going to a CRT and one going to a capture card. Um, you know, some might have compatibility issues, but most should be okay. And I think that would be an amazing way to get this to work on both consumer grade CRTs with component video input or PVMs, or I guess if we could nail down an HDMI to composite converter, that might work too. I have tested a few and they all add a couple of frames of lag and they don't work well or at all with 240p. But I just would love the feature to be there because then somebody could buy an AVS if they want to use their original cartridges on both a CRT and a flat panel without messing with modding an original NES. So overall, it would be probably cheaper than picking up an NES, an sRGB, and you know paying a modder to do it. Um, you know, I, I still really love the console, and I still am probably going to get around to doing a re-review of it just because I have newer camera equipment now, and I hope to do slightly better videos than I used to. But I would really love to wait and see if Brian implemented that. I emailed him, and I never heard back, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't respond to me either if I were him. I think I email him like every nine months to a year and ask if he's gotten around to doing this feature. So I'm sure I've absolutely driven him crazy. My apologies to Brian. 
Um, and there was a little story on why, uh, on how or why this post came about. And I, I wanted to explain myself to everybody. But uh, if you just wanted to know info on the AVS, you could drop off the podcast right now. There's nothing after this. Um, I'm just going to basically be explaining a giant mistake that I made. <laughs> um, if you'd like to hear what that mistake was, on Wednesday, you know, last Wednesday, I woke up, launched the podcast, and somebody said, Hey, did you see the new firmware for the retro USB AVS? And I wasn't feeling well. My brain was a little bit in a fog. And I was just like, no, oh man, I really want to see that. So uh, I went to the download section. I loaded it up. And I don't know if I had never updated my AVS. I know at one point a friend really wanted one. So I gave him mine and then bought a new one. So I don't know. I don't know if I never updated that one, but when I loaded up, I wanted to do before and after pictures. And once I loaded up the new firmware, I saw that it had interpolation as an option, as well as the Firebrand X color palette. And if it were a normal day, if it were any other day, I would have reached out to any of my friends that owned one or people that have done reviews of it and said, hey, is this new or am I I just in a brain fog today because I'm not feeling well? But I just powered through and I went, all right, well, I want to show interpolation, so I'll do a video on it, not just a post. And then that video turned out to be an all-day affair that I wanted to put a silly joke about my life and gaming in it, a positive joke. I wasn't making fun of them. I'm big fans of them. But, you know, I got all the way through all of this and I realized that all of the info was wrong. It was right in that interpolation is an option and I do like it turned on. I think I'm glad it was added. It was right that you, you know, you do have the ability to load Firebrand X's profile, but I didn't realize that that's how the custom color palette worked. And those two things I mentioned were not new features. So, uh, so I took the video down, I uh, deleted the post. I rewrote the entire post from scratch with all of the information I said before. And, uh, and here we are. So, in the six years I've been doing videos, five years, whatever it is, that is by far the biggest blunder that I've made. Um, I usually make smaller mistakes that could be easily corrected in like pinning a comment and saying like, hey, I meant 3.41, not 3.14 or whatever. Like, you know, that that was just annoying. And I have no idea why I was so loopy. The only thing I could think of is, and, I, and this might sound ridiculous, but for the first time in, in years, maybe ever, I got a flu shot this week because I figured why not, right? You know, and it really messed me up. Like, I remember my grandmother talking about that. Whenever she got a flu shot, she was sick for, like, really sick for two or three days. I didn't get really sick, but, like, I couldn't think straight. My head was in the clouds. I spent all day making a video that wasn't right. So, <laughs> I don't know. That, that No one prepared me for that. When I, asked, when I asked people about that, most people were like, oh, no, it doesn't do anything. Your arm's sore because it's a shot, but whatever. That's it. So... I'm going to be much more cautious about uh, about stuff like that in the future. You know, like don't drink and drive, don't write posts and, uh, and flu shot, apparently. So my apologies if I misled anybody. However, just by sheer luck, um, I don't think that video could have misled anybody to do something they would have done anyway. Because if you saw that video and said, oh, cool, there's interpolation, I'll buy one. It's not like you're you're not getting it. You know, it just was always or it's been there for like two years. So I'm very, very lucky that I didn't mess anybody up with this because I have I have enough guilt with these reviews as it is when I make small mistakes, let alone giant mistakes. So that kind of did freak me out when uh when I realized how bad a blunder that was. But then going back I realized, okay. No real damage was done. You got lucky. Don't screw this up again. So my apologies to anybody that I may have misled, but 
wow, I, I, I've never had anything like that happen to me before. And, you know, anybody that's that's seen me on live streams with friends know I like to have a good time. I like to have a few drinks. And I've still, I've never in my life had like a couple of drinks and made a bad, like an improper video like that before. So I guess be warned if you're going to get a flu shot this year, which, you know, you probably should, I guess. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But if you're going to get one, know that it might mess you up if you haven't gotten one before. <laughs> Well, if you're still here after all that rambling, then uh, hopefully you were able to laugh with me about the whole AVS thing. It's totally okay to laugh at me too. I just feel like other content creators may have had something like that happen and maybe they're getting a bit of a chuckle out of that too. But anyway, as always, thank you so much to everybody that watches and listens on any of the audio-only platforms. I think I have it on every major platform, but if I'm missing one, always feel free to let me know. I know there's still issues with iTunes, but we're working through all that soon. So uh, thank you for everybody who watches and listens. Thank you to everybody that plays nice in the comments. And especially thank you to everybody that supports on any of the support services, because it's your help that's keeping this podcast, all of the behind the scenes research I do, which I do not screw up as badly as I did that video, <laughs> as well as even videos like that uh, alive. So thank you all very much. And I'll see you next week.